The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. The rulers sneered at Jesus and said, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the chosen one, the Christ of God. Even the soldiers jeered at him. As they approached to offer him wine, they called out, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Above him there was an inscription that read, This is the king of the Jews. Now one of the criminals hanging there reviled Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The other, however, rebuking him, said in reply, Have you no fear of God? For you are subject to the same condemnation. And indeed, we have been condemned justly, for the sentence we received corresponds to our crimes. But this man has done nothing criminal. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied to him, Amen, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. As parents, I think you do this a lot. I certainly am doing it a lot this year at school. Father Brad does it all the time. I remember asking my, my mom when I was little in the morning, could we go to the park today or could we go on vacation today or can we go out to dinner today? Can we go to Odyssey Fun World today? Whatever. And she would never say no. She would say something like, let's see what the day brings. And she knew very well the day wasn't bringing Odyssey Fun World. <laughs> she wouldn't say no. She would say, I don't know, first things first. Knowing very well that the second, third, or fourth thing was not vacation, going out to eat, or Odyssey Fun World. But we put first things first and the bathroom got cleaned or the bedroom got vacuumed, or the business of the day got done. But I think that that is a very good way of responding when you don't want to say no, but the answer is clearly no. First things first. That's a good rule for life, isn't it? This feast day of Christ the King is really not that old. Maybe a hundred years or so. It was promulgated by Pope Pius XI in the midst of a very tumultuous time in the world's history. Just before World War I, we're ramping up. And you have still in Europe at that time this kind of um, very widespread, you have the Kaiser in Germany, you have the king in England, you have royalty in places like Austria, and Hungary, Poland, and Spain. You have a much more of a culture of actual monarchy than we have today. Of course, we have the king in England, and there's royalty in lots of European countries. Um, but by and large, the constitutional monarchy has really done away with a lot of their kind of temporal, everyday power, which is probably a good thing in some ways. But Pius XI saw that all of this talk about kings and queens and all this discussion and conflict between them was kind of ramping up into what would eventually become a very serious situation, which at that time was called the Great War, 
And today it's sadly World War I, because there was another one after it. So he wrote this document called Quas Primi, Quas Primi in Latin. And Quas Primi essentially translates to first things first. First things first. Let's return to what is preeminent. And his point is, what is preeminent is not a what. It's not an idea. It's not a principles. It's not a political strategy. It's not statesmanship. Quas Primi, what is first, first things first, what is preeminent is a person. And it's the person upon whom this whole, like, European, Christian, Western thing was built. And, of course, it's not the person of the kings and queens that you all are bowing down to. I guess he was shouting across the pond to us in some way. It's it's not bowing down to the political reality uh, of the presidency. It's not giving away all of our peace and of our joy simply because of one political situation or another. But he's saying that who is preeminent is the one upon whom this whole thing was built in the first place. It's the person of Jesus who is the king, not just of the Jews, not just of the Gentiles, not just of the Holy Land, but the king truly of the universe, through whom all things were made, without whom was nothing made that was made. He is the one who holds all things together in himself. We talk about Jesus as being a kind of image or follow-up to King David. A lot of people thought David was the Messiah. A lot of people thought that the Messiah was going to be somebody who would do what David did. You heard in the first reading today that King David was anointed king. (laughs) That seems a little redundant. If he's already king, why is he being anointed king? Well, it says that David was the king in Hebron. Does anyone know where Hebron is? Hebron is to, like, Jerusalem, essentially what maybe, I don't know, Mokina is to Naperville. Not only a dump in comparison to Naperville. uh, Just kidding, just kidding. But it's not that far from Naperville, that's the point. Hebron is not that far from Jerusalem. It might be a little bit farther than that. But the point is that at the time of King David, you had a divided kingdom. You had a divided house. The house of Israel and the 12 tribes of Israel were divided. And the kingdom of Judah was the southern kingdom. The kingdom of Israel was the northern kingdom. And they were meant to be one, right? After they moved into the promised land, then the 12 tribes of Israel, each of the sons of Jacob got their own like portion or whatever. And Then, of course, as all families do, there was a big fight of some variety, and they all got split up. So then the 11 tribes in the north and uh, the, the kingdom of Judah in the south. So David becomes the king of Judah first. Why? Bethlehem is not that far from those places, and King David is from Bethlehem. So anyway, he becomes king of Israel by being anointed king in Hebron. So when King David dies, the scripture says he ruled for 40 years, seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. The point is that David is somebody who took two things and in his person made them one. The kingdom became a singular kingdom, not because the two kingdoms were like 
I love you, man. Let's do this again. No, that was very hard for David. It was the person of King David that reunited the formerly divided kingdom of Israel. We don't really care very much about whether there's one or 55 Israels. I understand that. But this is the whole point that God has been establishing from the very beginning all of these ways of being able to see the work of Jesus so that people would recognize him when he came. And that is a major one. That's a huge one. The reunification of something that everybody thought could never be reunited. And in Christ, we don't just see the reunion of physical territories. That is very rarely going to be the case in our world of darkness and sin and death. But in Jesus, we see finally a connection, a bridge between the kingdom of God, which first of all lives within us by virtue of our baptism, which is spreading all around us at all times. Jesus himself says the kingdom of God is at hand for you. The kingdom of God, which is coming to replace the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of sin, etc. And in what ways do you think the kingdom of sin, the power of the evil one, darkness, what, like, what does that look like for us? Often, when do we get ourselves into the most trouble? It's when we forget that Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is preeminent. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. In him, all the fullness is pleased to dwell. Through him, all things are reconciled, making peace by the blood of his cross. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. So what does it mean for Jesus to be preeminent? First things first. What does that mean? Does that mean that uh, we pray a lot? Sure. Yes, of course. But remember that the Christian life, because Jesus became a human, because he was born into our flesh and lived our life on this earth, that's the great news for like a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is that it means the Christian life is very practical. The decisions that you make demonstrate right away whether the person of Jesus is preeminent for you at the top of your mind as the motivator for what you do, as the lens through which you see all things, or not. And when you hear things in the scriptures that say, like, along the lines of basically, like, your actions, I don't condemn you, your actions condemn you. Jesus says it's not what comes into your mouth that defiles you, but what comes out of your mouth actually reveals the defilement that's already within you. And your own words testify against you. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about. Because we all know people, and in one way or another, we all are those people who will come into this place today and we will sing and kneel and worship. Amen. And then we're going to be in the parking lot and we're going to be waving with one finger and we're going to be yelling at each other and we're going to be getting mad at the television a little bit later today and we're going to, whatever, we're going to be doing that. I'm driving to downtown Chicago today. Do you think I'm going to be cool as a cucumber as I appear to be up here at this moment? No. No, of course not. That's what I'm talking about. 
that if Jesus really is preeminent, if his influence, if his life, if his work in you is really at the top of your mind, is really the lens through which you see things, then that is going to bear fruit in the way that you actually live your life. Okay, so let's ask another question. What does it mean to see things through the lens of Jesus? What does it mean to have Jesus as kind of the first principle or the first motivating factor in everything that we do? Does that mean we spend all day at the soup kitchen? Yay! Does that mean that we just sell our houses and give everything to the poor? No. No. If he asks you to do it, I don't know. You should probably do it. It'll be very hard. We have no room at the rectory, so don't ask. What does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? I will tell you that one of my least favorite phrases of all time is WWJD. What would Jesus do? I don't like that. Why? Because Jesus is not a hypothetical reality in your life. If Jesus were here, what would he do? Jesus is here. What is Jesus doing? How is Jesus at work? What would Jesus do? If Jesus were around, what would he say? What is Jesus asking you to say? That's a good question. Yeah, if he were the one to speak, what would he say? But the point is that it's not a hypothetical reality. It's not a faraway reality. It's not that Jesus is dead in the tomb still and we're waiting to see whether he's the real deal. He is the real deal. Spoiler alert, he's the real deal, right? And he is the one who inspires every action within us. But this requires us to know the scriptures. It requires us to spend meaningful time in prayer, in the Adoration Chapel, or getting to Mass a little bit early, or getting up a little bit earlier before the kiddos wake up. Uh, It means making these kind of practical changes in your life so that you have the space to hear him and to see him. It's extraordinarily difficult. I'm not saying it's not. But it it is a sacrifice that you make. But you have to be able to find a way, and I'm happy to help you, but you have to find a way to, to recognize what he is saying to you, what he is asking you to do, and how he is at work in your life. Because you're not in this by yourself. Jesus is not the kind of king who sits behind big walls in a palace on a throne that if you approach him without him bidding you that you get killed on the spot like in the Old Testament and Queen Esther is afraid to go see her own husband because he never said you can come in so she thinks she's going to get her head chopped off. In fact, it's the other way around. The king sits on his throne and waits for you. He sits on his throne and waits for you to approach him in humility and as a friend. He is extraordinarily human, the most human you've ever met in your life. So we have to approach him in a human way. Oh, Lord, oh, this. No, Jesus, I need your help. Where are you? Are you there? I'm not seeing it. Let's move it. You can say that to him. Did you ever do that? Try it out sometime. Jesus, I really mean it. I need you now, please. Always say please. (laughs) That's another thing our mothers taught us. I'm so serious, Jesus. I need you right now. And I need you to speak to me. And I need you to see you. And I need to hear you because I'm very lost. Because I'm very tempted. Because I'm very whatever. I'm so serious, Jesus. I need you. I welcome you. I want you. 
I urge you, come into my life. Speak into this moment, please. That's what we need to do. And he will come. He might correct. He might adjust. He might say, first things first. He might say, let's see what the day brings. But he's always going to respond to you in a word of truth. So, quas primi. What is first? First things first. I think if we can try to do that and do it in a practical way and start with it right now, you'll see a change in not so much time. So today, I want you to be on high alert. That's your challenge today. I want you to be on high alert. Don't drive yourself crazy, but be on high alert. Ask for the grace today to be able to perceive a little bit of why you do what you do. So you're sitting at the table and you're with your family and it's the one time all week you'll be with your family and they're asking about grades or they're asking about, I don't know, whatever, and you're tempted to pull out your phone. High alert. Why do I want to escape right now? What am I running from? Why can't I just be here? And then make the decision to put your phone back in your pocket. (laughs) You feel that anger boiling up within you when the hostess at Buttermilk tells you, uh, it's going to be 45 minutes. I feel the anger rising up within me that buttermilk is now honey jam, but that's a different story. Why are you upset? What's that? How are you going to respond? How would you respond in a way that demonstrates that Jesus is first and foremost? That's often the game that I play. If I really were a holy person, what would I do right now? You know, what would I expect someone who I think is got it all together to do right now? And then I try to do that. And little by little, you become put together. So remember that. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead. And all things are preeminent in him. Because in him, all things are reconciled. The divided kingdoms are reconciled. The divided families are reconciled. The divided friendships are reconciled. And the divisions within our own persons are reconciled. And they hold together in him. So let him become preeminent and begin to discover that reconciliation.